the overwhelming majority of people in this country cannot afford college. We have, we've had universities tell us that too, like the problem they encounter is coming from people who think they can afford college. Hello everyone, welcome to Illuminate Higher Education Podcast. I have with me a very, very extraordinary and exceptionally gifted um, guest here, Vielka Oi. Uh, Vielka is a 20-year public-private college career educator turned college consultant. She has guided thousands of students in identifying the best fit collegiate institutions to match their strengths and needs. After perfecting her formula, Oi wanted to make her process available to students and educational institutions across the country. From 99 to 2017, Vielka had teaching positions at UCLA and UC Berkeley, as well as department chairs and dean roles at public and private high schools throughout California. Oi has a Master's of Arts in Afro-American Studies from UCLA and received her BS in Education from NYU, a self-proclaimed doer in addition to her CEO, CEO duties. Oi is a single mom and forever student herself, currently pursuing a social science master's degree at the University of Chicago. Vielka, welcome to Illuminate Higher Education Podcast. Thank you for having me. So this, uh, your, your life of work and also all the career and commitment professionally hits home, hits close to me at home. Let me explain, because I have a senior in high school. Um, he just last week accepted his uh, admissions at Georgia Tech. However, you know, at this point, I don't think he will be mad at me if I put out his data out, but he has 4.6 GPA, 1560 SAT, like tremendous extracurriculars, great essay. And uh, we thought that he will be a shoe in for um, UCLA, Stanford, and a couple other schools. But, you know, even though I have worked in higher education last 20 years and talked to several people like you over the last couple of years on the podcast, and he was extremely accomplished, we were so wrong on, you know, <laughs> his chances at these schools because he did not, um, you know, he did not get placed in Stanford. He did not get placed in a couple other schools where we thought that he is going to be a shoe in on. So the question is, how does somebody break this crystal ball and say, you know, my kid belongs in Stanford. My kid belongs in UCLA. A, why is college admissions so opaque and why is it so hard to get into college and how does a parent or student transcend this uh, nightmare called college admissions <laughs> it's a it's a great question but i, I one um, point of disagreement so i would say it's extremely opaque for like 35 schools the very the the highest highly selective schools um you know i think harvard just announced their lowest admissions rate ever, 3%. So they, it just, that is a, <laughs> a different That's insane, mess. right? It's totally insane. And, um, but, but the, the majority of schools, and, and I think about, even if we just think about the ones that graduate students on time, um, meet their funding needs, have a return on investment for the degree. So we have, 
of, of the 4,200 um, colleges in the country, we have those on our platform. So there's about 354 of those. You know, 35 are these really selective ones. So of the other, you know, 320, I think they're pretty clear. You know, you do this, this, and this, you'll get in, you'll get funded. These are schools you'll graduate from on time. I think the problem is that the sort of marketing machine around those 35 schools is so huge that you just sort of never hear about these other ones. Um, and, you know, this plays into those schools. Um, rankings, it allows them to charge more tuition. Like there's actual dollars attached to people thinking like there's only um, a couple of schools that you can get into. Like I, I right. grew up in the Bay Area and I used to think that um, if, if I only thought that Berkeley and Stanford were the only two schools out there, I would have called it quits a long time ago myself. But That's once right. you start learning like what else is available, how it's available, um, and and really informing families around those, then I think it's 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 very clear. But even on our platform for those 35 schools, we they get a different set of algorithms, like a different treatment right. because things are, are just really hard to predict for them. Yeah, I mean I, let's talk about the platform um eventually, but I do want to stay on the topic of selectivity mm-hmm. on college admissions. And I think you've mm-hmm. brought up a good point because if you think about it. Yeah, I mean, Harvard is a nice name. Stanford is a great name, but it's not like, you know, going to Georgia Tech is second grade, frankly. Correct. It's a yeah. great, great school, probably just as great uh, networking opportunities, just as yep. great entrepreneurship opportunities, obviously academic opportunities as well. So, right. however, I think there is some weird emotional attachment to this. Ivy League schools that make people get clouded in their judgment, even somebody like me and Varun, my son, uh, who we we thought that we were pretty, pretty wide eyed about this. But I think I feel like I've learned a lot of lessons in this process. So the question Mm -hmm. is, why does why do we pay so much attention to, you know, I this is this highly selective institution if I get in, you know, everybody will respect me more. Is this a human problem or is this a marketing problem? I, that's a great question. I think it's a, it's a human one. I think we've done an interesting thing as in education where we've said um, we've attached our intellect and our um, abilities to names of things. We've, we've said it must mean that I'm smart and I have potential if I get into an Ivy League school, it um, and that's not true, but it, but that's not coming out of nowhere, right? We also know that employers um, do that. You can come out of a computer science program at an HBCU and have learned the exact same thing that you learned out of MIT, but just on the name alone, you're more likely to be hired if you're coming out of MIT. So there's a lot of things that play into that. You know, I know. Um, some of these big tech companies, um, they look at SAT scores as part of their hiring process. Like we know the SAT doesn't predict anything, but what is it predicting for you four years, five years later to get a job? Like it, it's just a lot of things that we do that just doesn't make sense, um, but it keeps playing into this idea that you know um, the way to demonstrate smart is by these labels or the way to demonstrate smart is by being good at math only, you know? Um, I even think about how people in these conversations will say, 
you know, so-and-so said such a strange thing, but he went to Harvard and you're like, a lot of uh, dumb people go to Harvard. (laughs) A lot of smart people go to, you know, whatever state. Or they might Um, be, or they might be extremely smart and, you know, neurophysics or something. Right. And they (laughs) don't know how to repair a car like me. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's right. So it's like a lot of like, I think just, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to remember the year that they started doing those rankings, but it's like, I think some people have sort of tracked our sort of um, discourses around colleges once those rankings came out. And, and it's just really interesting to see like what we sort of associate with, with a name um, just in the world, like shoe brand or food brand, like what we assume the name means. Um, and which which it typically does not yeah yeah i agree i think you know again i would say maybe that's the same attitude we have when you when a you know a boy or a girl a young teenage boy or girl looks at an instagram picture of some other handsome girl or female and say oh my god i wish i can be like her or i'm not as cute so i guess that's the validation is part of the human genome but i think we don't do a you know, but on the other hand, I, and the reason I said it's a marketing problem also, because colleges take advantage of that. They say, you know, I am 7% acceptance rate. So Correct. if your yep. kid gets into my school, you'll be highly respected. So the That's other right. side also really takes, makes that problem bigger. So I always talked about in other podcast episodes saying, maybe they should make the acceptance rate like completely blind. Yeah, you can have a 1.3% acceptance rate, but you are not, it's not legal for you to market that anymore. Something like that, you know? That's a good one. Or um, yeah, one I, a, a professor um, posed this question to us at UCLA. Um, um, he's Walter, his name is Walter Allen. He's really well-known in, in education spaces, but his question was, if, um, one of the things that these selective universities are saying is they have Nobel Prize winners, like they have the best faculty, so they want the best students. But then if you are that great at teaching and you have all this content knowledge, shouldn't you actually get the worst students? <laughs> so um, because you exactly be able to. So he, his thought was to actually look at the sort of trends with the, the, the athletes. Typically, the mm-hmm. athletes on college campuses come in with the worst grades, the worst test scores, the worst everything, but they leave at higher rates. Um, they graduate at higher rates than the rest of the population because of the amount of supports that they were given. So if we were to, to maybe do away, it's like very revolutionary, right? So we did, did away with all of admissions as it appears, and you actually test out your teaching chops, you know, that Nobel Prize on students who actually could use it, then we might see some really interesting things happening in education. But, um, you know, I've worked at Stanford for a while. And a lot of times I would think like, I, <laughs> you know, as awful as it sounds, um, even the few sort of um, classes that I taught, you just sort of think like, is it me? Or is it the fact that you already came in as like the top of your class like did I do anything (laughs) the fact that you were here already and whatever happened in admissions and the name brought people in that were so you know um, had the same sort of profile and already sort of acclimated to this type of setting that did you know 90% of the work (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, I know it's hard. Like, how do you how do you meet um, the expectations of kids that smart? I agree. I think yeah. you know, there's there's a lot we can do on admissions, but I know we are not in we're neither in a position of authority nor in a position of yeah. influence. So let's talk about Bridge to College because I know you talked a little sure. bit about your platform. I like the fact that you give a ability for students to a assess their financial need and also their academic fit and identify the best colleges. So let's talk about your Bridge to College. Tell us how it works, why a parent or a student should consider it. Yeah, so Bridge to College, um, I built a set of algorithms. It matches or they match students to colleges that are the best academic, financial and social fit. Um, Students get a list of these matches and information. So how much is this actually gonna cost me? What is my return on an investment? Um, what, are, um, what are the academic things I need to keep doing? Um, and then we, all that's free for families. Go on, take the survey. Um, and um, we basically provide that data to high schools and colleges so that they can support the students. So we say, you know, some of the trends that we see when we go to colleges is we're like, you guys only fund people who make over 110,000. But here's all the students you're missing, great students, who if you gave them another $1,000, $2,000, $5,000, whatever it is, something you could completely afford, <laughs> um, you would have somebody who would actually graduate from your institution. Another trend that we've seen a lot that we kind of knew already is most colleges implicitly want calculus, even if they don't even offer calculus to freshmen, but they think that this is, a, again, an indicator of who is smart and who's not. Most under-resourced schools don't even offer calculus. They don't have teachers who are credentialed. Um, it's a, in some states, it's an additional credential. So if you have a college who's looking for that and you, you don't even have <laughs> students who are able to take it, they're automatically disqualified. But if you have somebody in this case who wants to study English, why are we so concerned about calculus anyway? And here are all the other social markers that you can look at um, of this student to demonstrate if they're going to graduate from your institution or not that are a way better marker than, you know, taking calculus or, or physics in some cases. Um, and um, we have been at 100% um, placement in, in um, colleges and, and getting students funding needs met. Um, and I think the biggest sort of hurdle for most students is a majority of these schools you have not heard of. That's okay. <laughs> you might, you know, need to buy a coat, you know, <laughs> sure. but this will be a school you get in, you get out, it, you'll have, it'll be paid for, you'll get what you need, and you'll be able to go get a job with a degree, which is the whole point. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah. I think that's a that's the right attitude. And also, and there's also this, uh, you know, weird notion, even, I, I know some of this is perpetuated by the colleges themselves, because if you think about even in Georgia, uh, if you are, I don't know, four, four GPA, four plus GPA and 1450 plus SAT, you can get into UGA and uh, you know, maybe even Georgia Tech. Um, you can, if you're in, I don't know, 3.5 plus or even three plus GPA and 1400s or 1300 SAT, you can get into Georgia State. If you are yeah, even school. lower, you can mm-hmm. get to Kennesaw State. And there's nothing yep. wrong with Kennesaw State or Georgia State or Gwinnett Technical College for that matter, because they all have great academic curriculum. They have yep. great support system. But because we have 
internally created a hierarchy saying, you know, private school is great or Brown is great and public school is not great and community colleges are bad. All these weird notions we associated is only impacting us from making the right choices for our children. Um, you know, right. how do you break that, especially with, uh, you know, African-American community or even yeah. you know, brown and white kids as well? It, it's hard because I, I tell families and I, our team all the time. Well, our team is also all former teachers and education researchers. So we're very well versed in all of these things. And uh, but we we're working against a lot of machines that are saying the exact opposite. Right. We not just the college marketing. You have these big um, uh, CEOs of tech companies telling people not to go to college. You know, it, it, I get like riled up, you know, I, I, there was some, um, or, you know, we only hire certain people, you know, so there was um, what somebody uh, uh, was saying, um, the majority of jobs at his tech company um, are not um, filled with people with college degrees, but he's talking about cafeteria worker, maintenance facilities. And, sure. but he's not hiring for his, his lead development team are people from boot camp, you know, so sure. it's like exactly. it's all these like people, you know, so, so misleading. And I think like we, you know, as a, a tech uh, CEO um, and somebody I code myself, um, I don't see much of a difference between a coder coming out of MIT and Harvard versus, you know, Cal State, whatever, because mm -hmm. a lot of these coding languages we have to reteach anyway. You know, this sure. very theoretical what they're learning and it's not, you know, so it's like a lot of these weird assumptions. The only thing that we are mindful of with students is um, to make sure that whatever path you pick is truly the most cost-effective, time-efficient path. So sometimes the community college transfer path is not gonna save you time or money. Um, sometimes the big name school might be offering you more money than the, the lower name school or it um, or less brand ID or the school, um, the private college might be offering you more money that makes it cheaper than the, the public. But that's the whole idea behind what we do right. with the platform is just lay out all the information so that people can make more informed decisions. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's almost like uh, the way you're describing it, it's almost like progressive, where they say, these are all the, this is the my budget this is what I can afford on a monthly basis or annual basis. And this is what I'm looking for my expectations. And yeah. uh, you lay out what the funding options are and what the admissions yep. process is. You know, that's great. I think I'm, I'm really glad that there's a platform out there um, like this that you have built. So talk to me a little bit about, you know, how, you decided to build it and how you went about building it as an entrepreneur, because that sounds like yeah. an amazing story to me. Yeah, thanks. Um, I, you know, I've been teaching high school for a very long time. Um, and I was a dean for a while and then I was going back in the classroom. So the first dilemma was my pay was cut in half. <laughs> and I was living in the Bay Area at the time and I was a single mom. So I, that's a, <laughs> it was a huge problem. So I said, I wonder if I could use my knowledge. So I worked in, you know, a private school in Marin, um, where 100% of those kids were going directly to college. 
And so I was like, I wonder if I can use what I learned at that school and apply it to students who could really use that knowledge, um, under-resourced students, um, to do a type of college consulting for them. Um, so I, and I, which meant I also need to make the price right. I'm sure you know from having just gone through this process how much people want to charge yeah. for that service. Um, so I, um, I started with five clients and in a year I went to 70. And, um, and I was like, I have to scale this. And so I, I took a few of the biggest learnings um, from all my time in education to build those algorithms that became Bridge to College. And essentially it started with working backwards from this is where we know we can get you in and out and mm-hmm. where you're most likely to get money. So let's, let's try to exceed expectations at these institutions to make sure that you, you get in. And, um, you know, I, um, definitely not a traditional path to being a startup entrepreneur in the Bay area <laughs> in the Silicon Valley, but, um, it definitely like made the, the most sense and with the, especially as I mentioned, the amount of expertise that we have on the team, um, in education in general, and specifically with, with college access, it, mm-hmm. it, it, it made sense to be a sort of venture backed, um, um, initiative. That's great. I mean, I'm glad to hear that you're a venture-backed initiative as well, because uh, one of the statistics I was hearing is that out of every $100 that uh, investors spend on uh, investments, less than $3 or 3% of the funding goes to women. But I don't even want to think about what yeah, you know what the women, women of yeah. yeah, women of color um, <laughs> quotient is there. Can you talk to me a little yeah. bit about a what your experiences was as a woman and a woman of color, and uh, how you went, how you overcame overcame those uh, obstacles? Yeah, so it, it's less than one percent for women of color, black and brown women, and it's also you know most of the funding for black and brown women goes to companies that um, are in health and health and beauty fashion or entertainment so a lot of <laughs> beauty pro- hair products makeup lotions <laughs> you know it's, it's it also there's very few i would say like scientists who are being funded as well um, and I think that, that comes with the first set of stereotypes about what we could possibly be expert in. Um, the, um, I think the next thing that comes is most of the time when I pitch, I think the, the, the concern is not how much money is she gonna make me, it's how can I ensure she's not gonna lose money. Um, and um, I, all these shows are coming out now about right. like Elizabeth Holmes and you know, uh, yeah, the track record on just investment bag businesses yeah. is what less than three percent of investment bags businesses become successful. So they can yeah, so it's, right. It's, but it's, it's almost a coin toss. Like, correct, but I watch stuff like that, and you're like, clearly these folks didn't know what they were doing. They weren't expert, and <laughs> they didn't seem to. Meanwhile, where we have a set of experts, and and so what what will happen with us is they'll say, okay let's see what happens in a year or come back and talk to me. Okay. I know I said five customers, but come back when you got 20 and like, like they're, it's very obvious that they're, they don't believe that 
Um, they believe we're, we we know what we're talking about. They don't believe that we can make money. So, um, so we just we come back and they're like, okay, I know I said twenty. Come back with fifty. Like it's always something. <laughs> um, and um, and some of them say like, I just want to make sure it's not luck. Um, right. And then I think the third thing that we get a lot that is is very frustrating is um, uh, we'll ask for a specific amount of money and they'll give us maybe a tenth of that. Um, and then they'll right. say things that are very like um, what they think might be sort of tapping into us being women. You know, the whole leadership team is also all women. So very much trying to say like, um, but isn't it about the kids or like, these sort of things, like, why do you need to pay yourself? But aren't you more concerned about this mission? And you're like, did you say that to Adam Newman? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Because <laughs> you know, like, he was for sure paying himself. Like, it's like a very weird, like, set of stereotypes that you can hear coming out. Um, and I think the last one we get a lot, I think people see me as a woman of color and they assume I only know about people of color. So they're like, oh, Bridge to College must just be for students of color. And I, I've heard this many times where they'll say, I mean, how many kids could we be talking about really five or 10 kids that need this kind of support? And you're like, the overwhelming majority of people in this country cannot afford college. It's not five or 10 kids. <laughs> and even the people who think they can, they can't because they, Correct. like uh, I talk to Varun about this all the time because he got, uh, he got into UC Berkeley and, you know, it's like, $60,000. Everybody knows the statistic here. So 60K per year. So I was like, Varun, I can spend quarter million dollars in, you know, because I can, right? I can afford yeah. it. I can spend quarter million dollars on your fee, or I can put this quarter million dollars in your bank account so that you can start That's your right. business. Tell me yep. which one is better because just because I can afford it doesn't mean I should spend it. You should spend it there. Um, yep. So, but people don't really look at it that way. They're like, well, I want to go to this school because it'll look nice on my resume. No, it doesn't. Nobody cares. Doesn't. Once you graduate, nope. you graduate. Nope. Yep, yep, it's, it's spot on. And we have, we've had universities tell us that too. Like the problem they encounter is coming from people who think they can afford college, um, not for from everybody else. It's these people who are like, oh, I'll just take a second mortgage out on my house. And you're like, don't do that. <laughs> We all suffer when you do that, you know. So it's yeah. it's very interesting, but the it's 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 um you know um I've I've had um, investors um, pull me aside and they're like just a little bit of feedback. You you sound too much like a teacher. You should sound more like a man when you talk. Or like this is ridiculous things that you just keep <laughs> going back to. Like how is how does this help the product? Like remind me, <laughs> right. or how does this help your investment? Like I just. It's just very strange. It's very strange. Yeah, I mean, I think, again, you know, it, it all depends on their own echo chamber as well, because mm -hmm. they, I think, not to not to broad stroke, I'm sure there's investors just like other human beings are in different style, different uh, philosophy. But I think in, in a lot of ways, I think they'll look at a, when they think of an entrepreneur, like the doctor joke, uh, they think of an entrepreneur and they look at a white man and that mm -hmm. is their perfect CEO, but that doesn't mean anything. It's not okay. true. It's not like yeah. they're the only, and it's not like they're the only ones who are successful. There's just yeah. as, you know, if you look at percentage basis and say X number of white owned Caucasian owned businesses, 
created versus X number of Caucasian-owned businesses failed and look right. at, compare it on all the different colors. I'm pretty sure brown and black-owned businesses are more successful. Way more <laughs> successful. So it's not, it's, it's correct. Like statistically, it's not even, like sometimes when they talk to me too, they, it's like they're talking as though they're doing me a favor or it's like charity. But on the money side, black and brown owned businesses make way more money and last way longer. <laughs> so it's, it's, exactly. it's even a bad because sort of money play. Yep. Part of the reason is probably, I think, uh, you know, I think we all, um, you know, there's a certain level of survival instinct in, um, you know, yeah. black and brown owned right. businesses where we think about building with the scope that with the money we have, we think about longevity, we think about sustainability, right. and we also think about survival. We don't do stupid shit. Um, I'm not exactly. saying that all Caucasian-owned businesses are high risk-taking, but it's just right. the survival is part of who we are, I feel like it. That's right. But um, but there's also another thing I feel like very comparable to my journey and your journey, which is, you know, I've been last six years a single parent myself, and I had to juggle and single parent with at least for three years, uh, full-time responsibility to take care of both my children and the last six years, yeah. full-time responsibility of taking care of at least one children. Um, and in this process, it was it has been an interesting journey for me, not only to understand my own limits as an entrepreneur and a dad, but also accept and be more respectful to women because now I understand when, when, when one of my staff members says, hey, I need to go pick up my son, I no longer look at it as a weakness, but I say, it's a strength. You know, I feel That's like right. I didn't, I've done that. I had to go at 3, 3 p.m. every day to pick up my daughter. So yep. why should I not let my employees do it? So I feel like that is part of, that allows allowed me to grow as a better human uh, and hopefully okay. a better CEO. But I want to hear your story on how you juggled your momhood or motherhood and the CEO and yeah. serving up in business as well. Yeah, the I should mention too this how um, I've also been coached around this is, you know, being older and being a parent. Um, we also have a, a large amount of what they call moral authority, right? So. I'm not going to take your money and run off to Ibiza and party and you can't find me and I'm going to party. That's like, that, that's, not, that's all we know for sure that that's not going to be happening here. Um, and another reason why we tend to be more successful, but um, to, to that question, what's also interesting. I, um, I knew somebody who worked at one of the tech companies and was a manager on his team. And he just kept, um, he, he was just really annoyed by, the one woman on the team who would clock out at 6 p.m. because she wanted to have, you know, a legitimate dinner with her family. And he felt that she was always bringing everyone down. I said, because she wants a meal off the clock. Like, why is that a bad thing? And, but by allowing or, or giving people time to be human beings and social beings, they bring the, their full selves to you when, when they are working, you know? So um, I, I'm a full-time student mom and I have this company and so it's um, I would say I, I, almost all the time I have is scheduled <laughs> and I work with a therapist a wellness coach a personal trainer like there's a lot of self-care <laughs> happening for me right. all day long you know but um, I 
and I have, I, it was hard for me too, but there's like this very clear boundaries, you know, that I make about not just, you know, in my time, um, but even in it, how people um, sort of try to get more time from you by the way that they're communicating with you or like, um, or asking something of you, you know, so that also made the, make these, for example, these investor conversations more interesting. Like right. if we already know you're not going to invest and I, I don't have the time to then have this meeting, you know, like, sure. we, things become much more um, efficient. Um, but it, it's, it, um, you know, um, it, it's, it's hard sometimes. As I'm sure you know that there's probably a safer profession. You know, I, theoretically I could just go back to teaching myself, you know, and, um, you know, paycheck comes on, you know, every month or whatever mm -hmm. it is. Um, but there's something just much more fulfilling about being, being able to do those things at scale, um, bring it to way more people. And of course, you know, make money doing that. So I should also mention that, um, most of the team are also a little older, sort of had established careers, um, other parents or they, they have partners. So like that whole, you know, as somebody phrased it to me, that moral authority is clearly there. You know, I don't ask people to clock in and out, you know, people yeah. meet their deadlines, you know, people say, I, I just need to take a day. We take a day, you know, it's it just very, um, casual in that sense, but we still get work done. Yeah, I agree. And I think there's definitely your, your right to make a, make sure that you take a schedule your time. I agree. I mean, the only way you can be a decent parent, uh, especially in a single parent household uh, and a decent CEO or even in a profession for that matter is by scheduling your time and a, and also making your calendar as public as possible i, I do that okay. all the time you know i just too, yeah. i just put like yeah going to a concert with my son or you know yeah. whatever like spring break i don't care there but also there's other part of uh, being an entrepreneur that's even though it is stressful at times even though it's a 24 7 job there's definitely a you know assuming that you can pay for pay for your pay for your own salary um there's definitely a lot of freedom that comes along with right. it where you can actually take time off when you want and then you can pick up on work when you can so it true. has helped me in in that aspect but you know it's like having a perpetual toddler you always need to <laughs> you know babysit it and make sure uh, it doesn't die i guess you know yeah, yeah, it's true, <laughs> it's true. different different journeys like you have to continuously tend to it uh, otherwise it, it becomes you know full of weeds for sure so um yeah. do you agree with that assessment i think it's true i think it's true i think the the um the there's just a lot you 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 want to make sure everybody keeps the morale up you know that everybody feels satisfied and attended to and um and and we're progressing with the product um in our case too right now um we're wondering how these conversations about trans athletes is um, will impact admissions or if students um, trans students, LGBTQ students 
will be concerned about certain campuses. So we're like, how do we represent that? So the other part that we're really mindful of at the company is that's a heavy topic, you know? Um, and um, so we, that's why we need time, you know, off. And um, so people can delve into those heavy topics with their full self and turn it off when they, when they need to, you know? Um, I, I, I study race and um, I think it's kind of cool how I apply that to computer science and machine learning, but, you know, I, I just read books about racism all day. <laughs> and, then I come and, you know, and I apply it to college access and some, sometimes I'm just like, I just need to turn on a cooking show. Like I just yeah. need to like tune it all out for uh, as long as I can, because it's, it's really, it's really tough stuff. But if we don't do that, then we don't have the product that we need to, to create. Yeah. Um, Cake or fake? Is that the new show? <laughs> have you seen the show? <laughs> I watched, I just watched that. <laughs> and it was, oh, so, I, I was watching it, I was like, that is obviously cake. <laughs> but I had to, I, I tuned out. That took me a whole weekend and it was good tuning out. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the, the thing I'm most impressed by that show is like, how do they know it's a fake or a cake 10 feet, 20 feet from away? It's like, it makes no sense. I think you know? that, I think if they were closer, they wouldn't have a show basically. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <That's> <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, I think uh, you're right. You gotta, these are all heavy topics, especially college admissions, helping kids getting their the funding they need, and also dealing with the uh, you know issues of raising money and everything. I'm really super proud of all the stuff you've done. Just the Thank initiative you. itself sounds amazing. Uh, talk to me a little bit about, you know, as we wrap this uh, episode up, where do you see higher education going based on some of the trends, especially from an admissions and funding trends go? Can you make a pie in the sky uh, dream on where higher education is headed? Yeah, um, that's a great question because I I think um, again the, the sort of noise around the topic is we're um, automating everything, and so people need to change. You know, and I think the biggest thing is. We don't know. Technology is moving so fast that we actually don't know what jobs people will have five years from now. Um, and you know, there, I was I was looking at this technology that was sort of um, reviewing these documents, um, but uh, um, looking for certain terms in a way that a lawyer would do, but obviously way faster and way more efficient than a lawyer. So then we know things are moving so fast that. Um, because of technology that we don't even know what jobs they have. But in my mind, I think that means we'll need universities more because they are able to train um, students in all kinds of fields and sort of prepare them, including soft skills for whatever might be out there, um, more so than these sort of like gimmicky, like boot camps and, you know, yeah. six week things that, you know, most of these things are training people for jobs that don't even exist or like it's outdated as soon as somebody finishes the program. So right. it just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but I think, I think we're going to, I think colleges are going to have a reckoning. The, the way prices are increasing and 
things like this 3% admissions rate just isn't sustainable. But I think, um, but I think they're going to stay. I, yeah. I think there'll be some kind of transitioning around the process. Um, and hopefully companies like ours will help them <laughs> make those transitions. So I think, sure. I think as far as universities, I think they'll, they'll stick around because I, I just don't see another sort of mechanism to, to sort of educate and um, acclimate young people than, than that four-year institution. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And I think there's a lot to be said about, uh, you know, I think there's, when, when you think about a four-year college, getting a degree, a lot of people say, well, you know, did your, what, what good is your degree? Because you don't remember anything you learned in those four years, five years later. That is true. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, however, what, at least for me, what higher education has taught is the concept of, you know, committing to a deadline and delivering on it, committing to a okay. making a plan, making a plan, for, for example, okay. and sticking to the plan, or when you deviate from the plan, work around it, improve on it. Whoever, I think once you make those basic commitments to understanding okay. that life is all about making a goal, meeting that goal, or when you when you fall short of it, make another goal and meet that. And in a very weird way, education is all about that first 16 years of education is all about those, like meeting those milestones. Yeah, we don't use physics anymore. We don't use social sciences anymore. But the the real commitment to delivering on specific requirements or making a plan and sticking to the plan, they never go away. You know, I think that won't happen any other form other than right. just put okay, make, making every creative apprentice under farm or something. Right. I I read this article a few years ago and I hate that I can't find it again, but it was basically talking about how med schools are looking for um, English literature majors, sociology majors, um, anthropology majors in undergrad because they can teach you the surgery technique or you know, this mm-hmm. is the heart, not the liver, you know, like they can teach you all that. But what they can't teach you is how to interpret human language mm-hmm. and human behavior um, so that you can build bedside manner. Um, sure. That comes from English literature or that comes from these other things that you typically wouldn't, you know, think about. Or um, another thing I read was the, these tech employers are really concerned because these guys come and they, you know, they think they know all this computer science, but they can't talk to their neighbor. <laughs> you know, they can't, they, they have no team skills, you know, no, yeah. no leadership skills. So they, they like the ones who were also musicians or like, you know, on the volleyball team because they learn to work with other people and these things that you can't mm-hmm. necessarily teach that come from, you know, more experience um, with, with different people and different environments yeah. um, that, you, that you get in college. That's great. Vielka, I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much for what you do in helping students and parents uh, connect um, to their future of higher education and helping so many students become successful, uh, not just in college, but in life. Thank you for so much Thank for joining so much. the Illuminate Higher Education Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Everything is a service. 
Whether it's finding ways to help students reach their goals within higher education, sharing medical records to patients quickly and securely, informing residential customers of an impending outage, or communicating with remote satellites thousands of miles apart. All of it requires data, integration, and communication. At Intuin, we provide services that make all of these possibilities realities. And we make it faster, simpler, secure, and easier. Because we believe everything is a service, and bringing everything together is how we can help you innovate and change the world.